Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Within Isaiah's prophecy, there is a great debate. And that debate focuses in on one question, and that is, who is the servant of the Lord? Now, really, there's just two choices. Some say the servant that Isaiah speaks of is Messiah. Others would disagree and say the servant is the Jewish people, those whom God is going to use from the descendants of Jacob in order to bring about the conclusion of this world and establish his kingdom. Now, when we look at the biblical text, we see Isaiah clearly sometimes speaks of the Lord's servant, a suffering servant, and it's clearly the Messiah. Other times, it's clearly the Jewish people. And what we are to glean from that is this, that there is a unique and intimate relationship between Israel and Messiah. Now, we know of prophecy from other places where, for example, when we read this in the New Testament, relating to, to the book of Hosea, where God says, out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, in one sense, that context is the Jewish people, but in the New Testament, it's clearly a reference to Messiah who went down to Egypt. Why? They were hunting him, that is, King Herod. And then he returned back to the land. So we need to see both in the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. This servant of the Lord relates to both Israel and the Messiah. And one of the best places to see this functioning in God's Word is what we're going to look at at this time. Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 49. So I invite you to take out your Bible and look there with me. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 1. We read, Hear, O islands, me. Now, most Bibles say, listen, but it's here, because this word demands a response. It's the same word for Shema, where we say, hear, O Israel. So God is saying to the islands, those who are far away, those whom the world has forgotten, God has forgotten them, God knows them, God loves them, and God wants to redeem them. So he says, hear, O islands unto me, pay attention to me, and listen, O nations, from afar. For the Lord from 
the stomach. Now, this is a word that can oftentimes be translated womb. So we could translate it. The Lord from the womb has called me. Who's this me that we're supposed to listen to, that we're supposed to hear? He also says, from the intestines, another word that relates to womb, from the womb of my mother. It says, he has made mention of my name. So my name, making mention, listening. Who is the subject of whom this one is addressing? When he says, listen to me. Who's the me? Concerning who? This is what we're called to answer. Now look at verse 2. We read, He has set my mouth as a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hands, he has hidden me. So my mouth, we see here, he has set as a sharp sword, whose mouth? And likewise, when it says, in the shadow of his hand, this would be God's hand, he has hidden me. Who has been hidden? Keep reading, middle of verse 2. He has set me, and this means to make me, to set me as an arrow, an arrow that is clear, meaning one that perhaps is is polished one that is straight one that's accurate he has set me for a a polished arrow in his quiver he has hidden me so this one that we're supposed to listen to that we're supposed to respond to this one that we've been talking about it says he is hidden as well now, all of this is to create for the reader an anticipation of revelation, of God revealing who he's speaking about. Verse 3, For he said unto me, whoever this one is, God spoke to him and he said, My servant are you, Israel. Now, that would make it pretty clear that he's speaking about Israel, at least up until now. This one that we're supposed to pay attention, listen to, see, Israel, they were given. Paul points this out in Romans chapter 10. Paul says that they were given the oracles of God. And therefore, because Israel has the oracles, that is the message of God's word, his revelation, listen. And that's what he's saying, that God is going to use Israel as his servant. Now, remember the context. We're not speaking about something in the past. We're talking about the chadashot, the new things that God's going to do. Something that he has not revealed in the past, but he has from, from a day ago, is what Isaiah says. This is new. And whenever we offer up the concept of new, what should come into our mind? The word new is a kingdom word. Remember what John says. He looked at the kingdom, the new Jerusalem, 
And he says, all things are new. They're different. They're not like it is here. And that's why the kingdom in its final state is called Jerusalem. But we have that word preceding it, the new Jerusalem. Different from what it was, all things are new. Now, verse, verse 3. He said to me, my servant are you Israel, whom in you I will be glorified. So now we see that God has a plan, and remember what we learned last week. God's able to speak something. He's faithful to bring it about. What he has said, you can be assured, is going to happen. So Israel is indeed going to be the servant of God, bringing glory unto him. As it says there, whom in you I will be glorified. Verse 4, I have said in vain, I have labored in emptiness and in, we could say, vanity or futility. All my power has been brought to an end. Meaning God has done some things, mighty things, and when we look with their eyes, we don't see the change. It's as though what God has done, he's done in vain. But we know something. That's not going to be the case. God's going to bring about a change. It may seem that way from our human perspective, but God knows better. He goes on and says in the same verse, Indeed, indeed, my judgment. Now, I don't know why, but, but some Bibles... They translate this word, the root, mishpat, judgment. Mishpati, my judgment, as reward. There's no basis for this. I suppose the, the thought is that God judges and to his servant, who is going to glorify him, that judgment will bring about a reward. But it simply says in our passage, my judgment is with the Lord. And my action or activity is with my God. So this tells us this one is doing that which is going to bring about God's purpose, God's judgment. Judgment is related to the authority of God and his authority to work something out to a conclusion. A conclusion that he desires. So Israel is going to play a part in this. It's clear here that Israel, look again at the previous verse, verse 4. He has said to me, my servant are you, Israel. This has to be the subject, but keep reading. Not that clear. Verse 5 says, and now said the Lord to the one who has been kept, the one who has been preserved from the womb for a servant unto him, to restore Jacob unto him. Now, wait, we have a problem. Because it's clear when we look at verse 3, the servant is Israel. It declares it. 
But that same one that has been kept, preserved, the one who has been formed might be a better way to think of it. Go back to, to verse 5. And now said the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be a servant, a servant to him. And what was that task that he has? To restore Jacob unto him. Well, Jacob is Israel. We learned that last week. So now, if Israel's the servant, how can the servant return himself? No, this is a clear reference to Messiah. What we see in the last days, the servant is going to be both Messiah and both Israel. It is going to be Messiah's work that, in the end, causes Israel, at least that remnant, to behave faithfully to do God's will. So once more, verse 5, And now said the Lord, who formed me from the womb, to serve him, to be his servant, to restore Jacob unto him and Israel to him, to be gathered up. And he says, I have been glorified in the eyes of the Lord, and my God, it says, was my strength. So who is this one? Well, it's not clear. It seems now to be clearly a messianic prophecy having to do with Messiah's work to Israel. But we saw earlier, it's clearly Israel. Now, people see tension, conflict in that. We ought not. It's simply saying as God has sovereignly chose Israel, God is going to also, who has called his son, Messiah, to work. And here's the key, in the end, they have a, a mutual task. What is that? To behave in a way that relates to the kingdom of God and the glorifying of God. Both Israel and Messiah is going to be about that person, purpose. Verse 6, and he said, Is it too light, too easy, too insignificant to be for you unto me a servant, that you should be for me unto me a servant? And what was the purpose of this servant? to establish my tribes or the tribes of Jacob and the preserved ones, Israel, to restore. So here again, it's clearly the one who's doing the work, the servant, is someone who's ministering, blessing, restoring, having effect on Israel. So it's not Israel affecting Israel. That can't be. So it has to be Messiah. Verse 6, such a beautiful word. He simply says, look again. He said, is it too light of thing? It's too insignificant for you to be to me for a servant. And the implication is, is not only to rise up the, the tribes of Jacob and my preserved ones, Israel, to restore this, this wouldn't be enough. Why? Because Israel's message is to be a blessing to the nations. Go back to the Abrahamic covenant. 
So if Israel, whom God created purposely to bless the nations, if it's only the nations that are excluded in Israel are the only one in the kingdom, God's original purpose didn't happen. So it has to include the nations. And that's why he says here, and I will set you, literally, I have set you as a light unto the nations and to be my salvation until the ends of the earth. Now we see this doubling. It is going to be Messiah that, that impacts, that does this work, that impacts Israel and also impacts the nations, but it's Israel being restored. Israel doing God's work that's going to be that light to the nations, not, not Messiah in God's desire from the beginning. He says, now verse 7, Thus said the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, clearly Messiah. Thus said the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One. And what do we know about Messiah, this Holy One? Well, it tells us that although God looks to his Son and says, you are holy, meaning you have been set apart for a purpose, you're the Redeemer. Notice. It says, to be despised by man and to be abhorred by nation. So those that are of the nations initially, they're not going to respond. You see, man and nation are going to reject, but in the end, he's going to be a servant to rulers, meaning he's going to impact them. And kings will see and will rise up. And princes, and the implication is princes too. And what will these princes and kings do, and rulers as well? They will bow down on account of the Lord. This is a term of worship. And they'll recognize that he is faithful. Who's faithful? The Holy One of Israel. It says, this Holy One of Israel has chosen you. Now, the Holy One in this case is Messiah. He has chosen to agree with God his Father. And that is to work out God's purposes, God's plan to bless the nations, but by using Israel. This has to be done. Now, how is it in a practical sense? Well, God says, and we see this in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 11, God says, I have given my calling unto Israel. And my calling and gifts are irrevocable. I don't take them back. I'm going to use Israel. And Israel's rejection of the Messiah caused that messianic promise, that work of Messiah, what Messiah was called to do, that message to be, to be boldly proclaimed among the nations. God used Israel. If Israel rejected it, it went to the nations. But in the last days, God's going to use Messiah to restore Israel back to its role of prominence. And when Israel gets restored by faith, that faith in the gospel, that same message of salvation, the only message of salvation, 
What is going to happen? Israel's acceptance is going to bring about the establishment of the kingdom of God. And that's what it's alluding to here when it says that, that rulers and kings and princes, they will see, they will rise up and they will bow down, meaning worship on account of the Lord. His faithfulness, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. God's plan in the end is going to reach a glorious conclusion. Verse 8. Thus said the Lord in an acceptable time. And that's how it's normally translated. But this means et ratzon, in the time of his will, in the time that, that he desires. It all has to do with God's purposes and plan. Thus said the Lord, in a, a delightful time, we could say, referring to his will, I have answered you. Now, I'm translating this very literally. I realize many English translators use a different word, but it's word, aniticha. Aniticha, the best way to translate that, I have answered you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you, and I have kept you, and I have given you to for a covenant among the people to rise up or establish the land and for them to inherit the desolate inheritance. Now, what's that? What the enemy, what the world has destroyed, God is going to cause the people to rise up and receive. What does this imply? A restoration. God's going to take what the enemy has put down, and he's going to cause it in the last days to be a wonderful inheritance. And all of this is on the shoulders of Messiah, and it won't come about in its fulfillment until Israel experiences redemption because these wonderful promises are kingdom experience, meaning we experience them in the kingdom. Verse 8 once more, Thus says, said the Lord, in the acceptable time, the, the time of God's will, the time of, of his delight, I have answered you in the day of salvation, I have helped you, I have preserved you, and I will set you for a covenant to the people to establish the land for an inheritance of the desolate inheritance. Verse 9. Saying, notice the outcome of this, saying to those who are prisoners to come forth, the ones who are in darkness to, to be revealed upon the ways. So they were in darkness, couldn't see them. And now they're standing at a very public place. They're being revealed upon the highways. They shall, shall feed in all my, and this word, shafayim. This is a word that speaks about kind of a plateau, but a plateau that is, is empty. It's flat, and it's been cleared away. There is nothing there. But God is going to do what? 
And those places that the world ignores, does not see as important, because it doesn't appear through their lenses what's there. All these things are kingdom promises that are going to come about. So God says, they shall be shepherd or they shall feed in all these these desolate uh, plateaus. And these desolate plateaus are going to become for, for their pastors. They will not be hungry anymore. They will not be thirsty. They will not be struck by heat or by the sun. Why? Now, what brings the change? Good deeds? No. What brings the, the change is what he says here. Ki merachamam, which is, I have mercy for them. It's because God is being merciful to them. That mercy brings about a change. He goes on and says, same verse, middle of verse 10, that he will lead them. And concerning, his leadership is going to bring them to the bubbling water, springs of water, he will guide them. So it's speaking about how this change is going to come about through the work of Messiah, which is going to impact the Jewish people, and that they are going to be a catalyst for kingdom promises to be fulfilled. That's what the scripture is teaching us. Verse 11, and I will place upon my mountains, or I will set all my mountains. So it's making the mountains. I'm going to get this right. I will place, meaning I will make all my mountains for a way. And my pathways, they will be exalted. Now, what this is talking about is an exalting way. Meaning, as we walk in God's faithfulness, and that's what we're called to do. Our faithfulness is always His faithfulness working through us. And as we do that, we're on what the Scripture speaks of, Paul speaks of it, this upward call, this exalted uh, pathway. That's what we should be expecting. Verse 12, Behold, these from a distance, they will come. Behold, these from the north and from the the west. It says, these from the land of, notice this, Sinim. Now, Sinim oftentimes is thought of as China in modern Hebrew. And it simply means a distant people. What we're talking about in this passage, ones that the world may not think of, those that were living in where most of the biblical events took place in the Middle East, they weren't thinking about this. Verse 13. Now, because of all of these changes, there is going to be a response of the people. Notice what he says. Shout, O heavens, rejoice, O earth. Break forth, O mountains. Now, when you hear Heavens and earth, what should come into your mind? The answer is Genesis, creation. And this is one of the places, and there are numerous, where God speaks about creation 
in regard to the kingdom of God. What the rabbis see from this is that there's the first creation, the world that we're living in, and there's coming a second creation, and that new creation is the establishment of the kingdom of God. One more time, verse 13, he says, Shout, and this is a shout of joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Mountains break forth and shout, why? Well, the last thing that we're going to read before we conclude is this last part of verse 13. Why is that so important? It's important because we see here that, that the word, the word, Nicham, is a very important word. We see that in the New Testament. If I tell you the phrase, the place, Capernaum, what would you know about that? Well, when Messiah began his service, his work, he left the upper Galilee. He left Nazareth, where he had been for most of his life. And he came down to a place called Capernaum. You say, what's the connection? Well, Capernaum is called Kafar Nechum. It is derived from this same word. And as I have taught other times in other studies, this word, Nechum, here it's Nicham, same root, just a different grammatical construction. And it speaks about comfort. It's that which one does in order to bring comfort to another. Now, God, he does not desire to put forth his judgment. He does not delight in joy, wrath. But he is holy, and he at the right time, and he knows that right time, he will pour forth his vengeance, his wrath, his judgment on the world. And what we see here is that Messiah, through his work, he is going to bring comfort to his Father. For those who receive that work of Messiah, that there's no longer a need for judgment. This word, Nachama, Nachum, where we get the term Capernaum from, it all speaks about something that brings comfort to God, whereby no longer does he, does he must or does he have to judge, but instead of judging with his wrath, he will extend grace and mercy and love. And that purpose that he had from the very beginning, it is going to be fulfilled. Those things that he wanted to bless us with, those promises, they now are a possibility. And that's why he says, once again, the whole verse, shout, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, break, break forth, O mountains, shout for the Lord has comforted his people and the afflicted ones he has given mercy. He's provided mercy. So we see comfort and mercy. We see these things working together to bring about the fulfillment of the purposes of God. So it wasn't by accident. In fact, if you know history, the people read in this book of Isaiah, we studied it. When we looked at the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9, 
of Isaiah's prophecy, where it says that there's a specific location. Near the sea, what sea? The Sea of Galilee. Near that sea, we see something. And that is the place that prophetically, between the land of Naphtali, that inheritance, and the land of Zebulun, that inheritance, where they meet along the Sea of Galilee. What happens? This is where the light is going to be shining. That light that Israel is to receive and share among the nations. This is why Messiah, at the time to begin his work, his ministry, he left Nazareth and went there. Why? Well, the people knew that prophecy. They knew that location. Nothing was there. They knew the time of Messiah's coming was drawing near, so they established a city, a place for Messiah because of this prophecy. And they had to say, what should we call the place? Well, it began a very modest, a very small place. Few inhabitants. So they called it a kafar, a village. And then they chose the term Nahum because throughout this book of Isaiah, it speaks about the comfort of the Lord, which is tied to the redemptive work of God through Messiah that brings about salvation, manifests righteousness, and reveals the glory of God. That's why that city was built up, because of the wonderful promises that we see throughout Isaiah. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.